I'm Helen Farmer and this is the Farmer's Kitchen podcast brought to you by Spinney's with Dubai I 103.8. We were talking burgers with one of Dubai's homegrown brands, Pickle. They've won awards for being simple, not basic. What does that mean? Pretty delicious in my book. Karen from Spinney's was getting our taste buds going with some of their latest recipes, celebrating Middle Eastern bakery and flavours. In conversation with Natasha D'Souza, she's an emotional eating coach and she was sharing her journey of weight loss. And really why understanding the psychology of why you eat can be the key to unlocking your health. Head chef Craig Best probably has the best view in Dubai. He works at Aura Sky Pool on the 50th floor, one of the most Instagrammable spots in town. So what is on the menu? And we were in conversation with Tiffany from Spinney's, making us very jealous indeed. She is working not just remotely, but next level remotely, speaking to us from Cork in Ireland, where she's at Ballymaloo Cookery School, one of the most famous establishments in the world. And who doesn't love an ice cream? There's a new one on the block called Temple creamery but there's a bit of a twist we were speaking to one of the co-founders about what you can expect on the side you're listening to the uae's number one talk radio station this is farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 whenever you ask someone for their favorite burger i can tell you what pickled is normally coming out on top it has won numerous awards most recently timeouts best burger awards so congratulations to Reese Baker, who joins us in the studio now. He's the operations manager of Burger Restaurants. Pickle, welcome, sir. How's it going? Hey, uh, thank you for inviting me here. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure being here. I listen to your show every day, so this is incredible to be here. Well, we need to talk business because uh, the people of Dubai are divided. Where do you put the cheese in the cheeseburger at Pickle? Uh, The cheese must go on top of that patty. Tell us the science behind it. Because they're called toppings for a reason. So it has to go on top, and then that's just how the science that burger is all together and just gives that perfect flavour all around. Right, let's go back to the beginning of Pickle, because as I said, it's gone so, so well. It's become a real homegrown favourite, and I think that's what a lot of people like to see and what a lot of us like to champion on the food front, to you know, put our dirhams, put our time and our attentions to something that's been you know, created here and expanded here as well. Your, your kind of motto is simple, not basic. What's that about? So what it is, is that we looked at the industry, uh, the burger industry, and we realized that we didn't want to do anything too difficult, but we also realized that if it needed the highest, freshest ingredients. Mm. Um, and we bring our, our chicken, it's locally sourced, so it's completely fresh, and it really brings off that like juicy, tender flavor. Everything's all homemade, and we're, 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 we're just a bunch of people who just love making burgers. <laughs> And that, that's, that's where the, the phrase comes from. We're also, because we're fast food, but we are fresh. So that's why we call ourselves fresh fast food as well. Now, you came into the business in a kind of unusual way as a fan, I guess, initially. Mm. Tell us about that. Um, I fell in love with Pickle as a guest. I would come probably every single day. I'd constantly <laughs> order it either on delivery or in store. I kept posting all the time on social media. Um, all my friends thought I worked at Pickle. And I was like, no, I just, I, I love a brand. Just spending I, half my salary there at the yeah, minute. <laughs> easily. But it was so worth it because the product was just so fantastic. And I absolutely loved it. And it got to a point where it just made sense to just join the company because I'm there every day anyway and uh, I love a brand uh, and I've been nearly three years now and it's been absolutely fantastic. Reese, do you get free burgers? Yeah, for pure tasting purposes. You've got to taste the product sometimes. Quality control. I will be honest, last week I I had uh, pickles seven times and that honestly (laughs) wasn't even just to to sort of taste a product. It's because I literally love a product so much that I want want to still eat it and I, I love that 
with a brand what we've got and the product's so fantastic even after three years of me eating it every time i still look at a cheeseburger and, and a sando from one of our pickle stores I, i'm i still feel so passionate when i look at it i mean i, I still love enjoying it so uh it's an amazing product so that goes back to you know when you when you're doing something you love it's not work at all um, i'm glad you mentioned the sando i feel like that's that's mm. become a real signature but coming back to your point about doing something really well. I feel like this is where a lot of places kind of fall down and you sit down, you've got this menu and it's just pages and pages and you kind of go, you're offering fish and chips, but you're also offering a nasi goreng and you've got, a, you know, a chicken biryani on there. And you kind of go, how on earth are you actually going to mm. do this properly? Whereas you guys, it's a, it's a select menu. Things have been added gradually and obviously for good reason. What are some of the most popular things on the menu? Um, Chicken sando for sure, yes. um, and, and that's purely because of the, the, fre the fresh chicken uh, paired with that comeback sauce, which is that creamy, smoky sauce, the homemade dill pickles, which gives that nice little bit of sour sort of tang to it as well, uh, linked in uh, in the middle between that potato bun, which is just so soft and fantastic. And Talk it, to us about a potato bun, because I think it is, I mean, yes, of course, the filling's fantastic, mm. you know, that, that it's... It's crucial, but often it is. It's the bun that makes it. What is a potato bun? It it, it it's a small small bun, and, and the main great best thing about it is that it allows the top the the, the toppings and the actual patty or the, or the chicken inside to do all the talking. There's a lot of burgers where you'll see the bun is quite big, mm -hmm. and then because you, you then start getting quite a lot of breads, and that's all over overpowers on on the flavour of the insides. The potato bun, because it's very small and cute, it allows the products inside just to really explode with flavour. Um, and it's made and from potato it. then. Hmm? Is it made from potato? It's got a little bit inside. So it's a vegetable. So it's a healthy. Uh, it, it, it's healthy, <laughs> but if you want to go extra, extra healthy, just go for a lettuce wrap. Nah, life's too short. Yeah. Um, we have to talk pickles. I've got, I'm passionate about pickles. I love pickles. During lockdown, I started pickling just stuff I'd find in the fridge. It became a bit odd. Um, what, what, make, what makes them so important and how, what kind of options do you have on the menu there? Um, so our pickles are a huge part of the brand. Obviously, have a name definitely being called Pickle. Uh, and we, we believe that a burger is not a burger without pickles. So uh, we decided to home, home make our own. We've got uh, dill, we've got onion, we've got chili. Uh, we do an option as well where we fry the onion as well. So it's absolutely de delicious. So it goes really well on the cheeseburgers. Um, and you, you can get a little tub of it as well. And obviously you, you, you can eat it over the next few days. Like absolute fantastic flavor. Love it. Um, got a message here saying off the timeout market, which is fortuitous because that's where you are. And we came as a family, I think about a year ago. And it worked so well because I got my chicken sando from you guys. My husband got his hatamata brisket platter. The kids had fry. You know, it just worked so, so well. Pit fires around the corner. Got my sprouts from BB's. But how do you then adapt? Because you've got, what, eight outlets now? Do you change the menu at all? Or is it like you want that consistency of the menu regardless of which pickle restaurant you're in? Yeah, the consistency of a menu is incredibly important wherever we go around the UAE and eventually when we do uh, globally as well, it has to be the same same menu. Um, and then obviously the, the chicken and, and the cheese, like m the more we serve it around and, and then the more people get it, it's fantastic. And mm -hmm. that's the reason it kind of goes back to the, the saying, like it's a simple menu, but it's not basic. And because of that, like the, the, the ingredients are incredible, obviously the homemade. Um, so we need to make sure that that consistency is 
felt around all the venues. So what then about adding to the menu? Because that must be a big decision. How interactive are you with customers about hearing what they might want? Or are you looking about trends internationally as well? We, we love feedback. Feedback's fantastic. And um, we, we do a lot of LTOs, which is like a limited, limited time offering. Uh, we've got uh, two of them operating uh, right now. Uh, what have you we, got? We have, uh, it's called the Sloppy Ellen and the <laughs> Sloppy <Ellen>. Owen. <laughs> Uh, so, so it's like uh, Owen Wilson and Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, <laughs> what and, are they? Uh, it's uh, our um, uh, homemade uh, beef chili mix. It's got a sour cream and chive sauce as well on top of the uh, cheese uh, cheeseburger. And we got a fries option as well. So uh, it's, it's in all the dining stores. If you go down and check it out, I think you're going to love it. Tell me about this Vimto shake. Oh, God, Ooh, that's, uh, I, I love it. I so love you that say, mm, I'm like, oh, I it's so. Know. Have you tried it? No. You gotta try it. Absolutely fantastic. I had it two nights ago and I loved it. It just it tastes <laughs> like so it, 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 it's, it's such an interesting flavor. But like it do, you do get that really so strong flavor of Vimto come through. But it bounces out uh, with the ice cream inside. It's delicious. I loved your Christmas offering, by the way. That was a high yeah. quality burger. Right. I want to talk non-meat because we've seen this. And if you go into your local spinnies, you'll now see whole freezer areas, massive offering when it comes to, um, you know, plant-based alternatives, you know, butter, cheese, and obviously meats as well. When did you start to respond to that? Because you do have the impossible on the menu as well. When, when we started, we, we always had a plant-based option. Um, and we realised that Impossible was sort of next step in the plant-based. What was the initial uh, one? Uh, it was Beyond, uh, and, and then we, uh, we we moved on to uh, Impossible, and they, they were very uh, hands-on from the start, wanted to help out as much as they could, especially with the branding and the marketing. And we did a huge amount of training with the team, and. It's very important that we have that option because mm -hmm. you do get vegetarians and we wouldn't want a family of, let's say, five to look on a menu and not have an option for, let's say, the vegetarian uh, child or the mother. So at least with this, when you go onto the menu, if someone loves their cheeseburgers, great, they get it. People love their chicken, great, they get it. And then people love uh, their plant-based, they get that as well. The, um, the variety of options is it's, it's limited and simple, but it's fair to look after the whole family. I've heard that... Every member that joins the pickle team needs to spend two weeks in the kitchen and then six days in the kitchen every year after that. Talk to us about that policy. Yeah, this is probably the, the most fantastic policy we have when people join the company because they learn what our legends go through. And the legends are our, our crew members and they were the ones who make pickle so legendary and you get someone from a projects team from a marketing team or maybe even someone who's joined the operation team it's important that they go into the kitchen and they fry chicken and, and that they smash the patties and that they're assembling the burgers and they're talking to guests on, on, on the pos they then learn what our guys go through in operations on a daily basis and then they understand a lot more mm -hmm. and then from that we build that culture within the company that we do whatever we can to make the operations smoother and easier for, for the legends when they enjoy their work and that obviously then we enjoy our work together as well. You come from a hospitality background, nightclubs, Mahiki. Oh, I was going to say I miss it. Don't miss the day after. Um, and <laughs> you came to open, you were hit with the beginning of Ting Iri as well. What is it about hospitality in the food industry that, you know, you want to dedicate your career? And I mean, it's, it's a lifestyle as well as a career, I suppose. Yeah. Um, my mum always taught me to look after people. And when I was 15, that's when I sort of joined the, the food and beverage industry. And I remember just being a waiter and looking after 
um, people on tables and they'd have you know weddings and all that sort of stuff and to see someone's express and uh, sorry expression and, and joy when you've given them either a drink or, or a food item they feel so happy from it and then you're also when you're looking after people you become kind of like the entertainer mm -hmm. and you get to give them uh, fun and you give them jokes and it, it's not just about serving a product there's so much more to it it's one-on-one -on -one human interaction um, and that's what I love so much about this industry and we find it's very important as well with our legends and our team we don't want them just to be kind of like what you kind of expect here maybe mm -hmm. where in Dubai where it's quite, quite a sort of like um, You're a, bit of a bit of a cog in the machine yeah, sometimes but what we want from our team is that they show their personality and, and they've got a name, they're not just a number, you know, you've got John, you've got Erwin, you've got Julia, and, and it's our job to be with them one-on-one -on -one and to really get their personality out. And when they do, the, the guests feel it and they enjoy their work you more. Do, you do feel it, to be honest. I feel like we often underestimate just how important that's, that service, that hospitality is, because that can make or break a night. It really can. Someone that sets the tone for your meal, someone who's interactive and informative. And sometimes, you know, you want to just be kind of left alone but they would hopefully be you know trained enough to to pick up on that mood yeah. i love the fact that you're saying you like looking after people now you Supports. hinted earlier about maybe going beyond abu dhabi and dubai does mm. pickle have big plans uh, huge plans absolutely massive plans and i'm incredibly excited about the future um we're looking at the gcc region initially um and that's where the sort of initial sort of roadmap will start uh, and then we'll definitely go global. And I'm so excited for every continent to taste our Sando. Every time I see people eat it here, it, you get the same experience. They're so happy. And if someone can taste it in, in uh, you know, Southeast Asia or in Europe or in North America and they get that same experience to do that on a global um, basis will just be incredible. Now, the chicken Sando, for anyone who hasn't had it, it is legendary. It's Fresh fried chicken. Mm, fresh. Absolutely fresh. Comeback sauce, that creamy, spicy dill pickles, lettuce, the potato bun. But you've also got a heat level. We do. Talk us through the scale because whenever I asked, you know, how spicy would you like it? My standard reply is mm -hmm. white girl spicy. Mm -hmm. Like really like the bottom, <laughs> the bottom level. What do you have when it comes to the heat? So uh, we got plain, medium-ish, fill the heat, Nashville and Reaper. On a, Reaper. On a scale of one to ten, look, plain's like a one, medium's like a three. Fill the heat starts hitting like a six, maybe 6.5. Uh, Nashville starts hitting like the 8.5 and then Reaper is just absolute 10 out of 10. Like, if you want to have Reaper, you only can get it in dining stores. You have to sign a waiver what? because it, it's legitimately incredibly spicy. Have, like, you have you tackled I, it? I've tried it. I like my spice and I've tried it and it blew my head off. Like, it was incredible. Um, there was a little tear. There was a little tear. Um, it helped me cool down a little bit. Uh, but you should serve a little scoop of ice cream on the side of the Reaper. So, it's funny you say that. Like, I was, I was in our Mampshire location um, a few nights ago and I had the Nashville tenders, which are still very hot as well. And in our Mampshire location, we We've got soft serve, which you can only find in a Mamsha location because it's uh, next to a beach. Uh, and it, that definitely helped out. It really did. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for all the whole hard work that's been going on behind the scenes. I think it's really wonderful to watch this unfold because it has gone from that, you know, one initial idea to maybe world domination. And I think it's great. I think the rest of the world needs to understand, you know, Dubai is capable of creating these brands that deserve you know, some worldwide recognition. So if anyone's going to go to a pickle over the weekend, 
what do you think you need to eat in order to have the full experience? I would love you guys to go there and either choose the chicken sando. I'd like to go for a medium-ish because at least it gives that a little bit of sort of sweet, spicy flavor. Um, either go for the messy fries or the sando fries and definitely go for one of our gooder milkshakes. Okay. Hungry. And just for the record, one more time, you reckon cheese on top of the patty for a cheeseburger cheese on top of a patty 100% that's my final answer that's what Pickle says you're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8 with Spinneys eat well live well talking food on a Friday and already been in conversation with chefs we're going to be speaking to Tiffany from Spinneys very soon as well but joining us now from Spinneys is Karen D'Souza deputy editor of Nourish magazine and we're going to be looking at some recipes some produce um, Karen what's in store at the minute that's got you kind of putting things in the basket strawberries definitely um, I'm going to be making a strawberry cake this weekend um, by popular demand because my colleagues I want some on Monday. So um, there's some delicious uh, British strawberries, which I'm going to be using over the weekend. Take us behind the scenes. In in Spinney's HQ, are there just snacks everywhere and people bringing in their creations <laughs> and people saying, we're thinking about getting this, let's have a taste. That's how I imagine it being like a kind of, you know, Charlie's Chocolate Factory type situation. There are actually a lot of people who are very into fitness um, in this office. So it's basically our team that's the bad one. We keep eating the live long day, the content team, and we keep tempting people. Um, we do manage to draw quite a few of them in because all of us are bakers or we cook savory stuff and bring it to the office. Um, but yeah, I would say our team is the baddest. We yes, eat all the time. We order, order coffee for ourselves, order pastries. So yeah, Karen, it's just it's just being a good journalist. It's just it's just yes. it's just checking all <laughs> checking all your sources. <laughs> Get full approval. Now the new Nourish magazine is on the shelves now. It's a beauty. What's on the cover? So the cover um, we have uh, falafel. So we have an entire feature dedicated to various types of falafel because there isn't only one recipe for falafel, and each Middle Eastern country sort of has their own take on it. Um, so the one on the cover is um, from Egypt, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me quickly check that for you. Oh, um, it's, it's gorgeous. But, it's a kind of like a lovely flatbread. And, um, and well, sorry, it's the one from Palestine, actually. Um, and it's made with frike. So it's not just falafel. I mean, um, chickpeas. Um, it has uh, frike in it, which gives it sort of a, like a fluffier, lighter texture. All right, I'm giving, willing to give that a whirl. But we're talking baking. World Baking Day, we're marking over the weekend, the 17th, I believe. Oh, no, next week. Hang on, next what? week, yeah. Do you know what? Since coming back from Eatcar, my head is upside down on days. I had a film shoot this week and I drove to Deira without realising that it was the wrong day. So, yes, <laughs> oh, this is where my head's at. So today's the 13th. World Baking Day is the 17th, which is next week. Helen, get a clue. It is Tuesday. Um, and you, obviously being bakers yourselves celebrating this in the office i'm sure but also in the pages of nourish um, and you've got a feature called old is gold what's that about so there um there are a lot of pastries in middle eastern cooking that um, have a lovely golden burnished sort of color once they are baked or fried so we decided to create an entire feature dedicated to golden middle eastern desserts um i think the the, the yummiest one out of the lot in that feature is a kunafa cheesecake. Oh, so, kunafa, yes. I mean, cheesecake, yes. We all had kunafa over here, right? Um, so we decided to take uh, kunafa pastry 
and uh, make it uh, make a cheesecake base with it, which was then uh, drizzled in uh, lovely syrup, and uh, we topped it with uh, cheesecake filling. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's sweet, but we counteract the sweetness uh, with uh, pomegranate seeds, which is sprinkled on top. So, so, so you're saying it's healthy. Direction. It's healthy, yes? Um, <laughs> no, don't worry. Um, no. I'm, I think you if you're getting one of your five a day, um, and it looks absolutely beautiful, so you've got that texture, you've got the acidity, and I guess you yes. could put any kind of topping on as well if you wanted to, you even can, if you, you had something around. You can use mango, around. you can use figs. Um, it's all up to you. I mean, um, there's so many different types of fruit that you can use. Um, yeah, so, and it's, I think it's an absolute showstopper. Oh, I love the sound of this. What about something a bit more simple for the kids, you know, to get involved? Because this is, I think, when many children kind of get their first introduction to the kitchen. It's, you know, next to mum or dad or, you know, granny and learning how to make some family favourites. And in this case, you're obviously celebrating kind of long-standing national favourites. But anything that kids could be having a go for World Baking Day? Yes, actually. Um, well, this doesn't involve baking, but kids can easily uh, make this recipe. It only has four ingredients. So we have a recipe for tahini halwa. Uh, truffles um, mm. and and this can you can easily sort of like pick this recipe your own by changing up the flavors so you instead instead of the tahini paste you can use almond butter or peanut butter or any other kind of nut butter um, and it's super simple it just has uh, like I'm like I mentioned four ingredients it's milk powder and icing sugar tahini paste and cocoa powder uh, so you roll that all together and, uh, and uh, decorate it with edible gold leaf Oh, I love it. Make it Middle East fancy. Is, um, yes. is that available in store? Because, I mean, it's, it's everywhere in restaurants, but the thought of putting it on something for, a, you know, a dinner party is, you know, it's pretty extra. I like the sound of it. Um, it was, I don't think it's available in store, but it's available in, in most confectionery shops okay. um, and um, like shops dedicated to baking and pastry. I will seek it out. Anything else in your celebrating the Middle Eastern uh, old is gold dessert feature, Karen? Yes, so we have a Persian saffron cardamom baked yogurt. Um, it's super easy, it's beautiful, and it's also very versatile. Um, you can change it, change up the recipe, change up the ingredients, and make it vegan friendly. Um, so the one we've the one we've made um, uses milk and honey, but uh, you can swap those out. Um, not milk, sorry. Let me let me uh, correct myself. It's a uh, double cream yogurt and condensed milk. But those can be swapped out with uh, coconut yogurt and coconut condensed milk. Um, so it's really it's got a lovely light uh, texture. It's refreshing and it's got and um, it's, uh, it's a quick and easy dessert. So in case you have any last minute guests coming over, you can quickly make this. Um, and uh, it's just beautiful to look at. And it can be you can use any number of toppings on it. Um, mango puree is one. And I do have a tip uh, for anybody who does try this. After it's baked, leave it in the oven for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Because if you take it out immediately, um, there's a likelihood that the top might crack with a sudden drop in temperature. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. And can I ask then about, um, and I don't want to start any kind of international disputes about where baklava is from, um, but this is a real classic. So have we got time to have a quick chat about a baklava recipe that uh, I think is, is well well worth a mention too? Yes, um, and this is also very easy. We've simplified it instead of layering the the sheets of phyllo. We sort of rolled it up so um, anybody can make this and no one should be daunted by the thought of making baklava at home. 
Um, so in this one, we've used dried figs, nuts, and dark chocolate, which sort of counteracts all the sweetness from the sugar syrup that's poured over everything. And um, the, so basically the layers of phyllo are filled, and uh, then we roll them up and cut them into pieces, and then they just um, then they, we stand them up in a in a tray, and the syrup gets poured over that, and which is then baked. Um, so it's super simple. It's uh, beautiful to look at, delicious to eat. Um, so do let us know if uh, anyone tries this at home and tag us on on social. And we'll definitely love to share it. Definitely, we want to see we want to see this, and we always love your recommendations. So keep them coming in on four zero zero one. Where are you going this weekend? What are you eating? Now, going from sweet to somewhat sour, and this this issue of nourish is really celebrating Middle Eastern cooking. And some of the classic sour ingredients are well, pomegranate molasses, preserved lemons as well. And you've really showcased some of these ingredients in some lovely recipes. One that really caught my eye and made my mouth water was the Hasselback aubergines. They look absolutely sensational. I feel like vegetarians were fobbed off for so long with a kind of, you know, a mushroom risotto or a portobello mushroom. This is a, a, a really either a fantastic side or a main for, you know, a vegetarian or anyone that's looking to some kind of meat alternatives. How do we make it? Um, so basically, we hassle back the aubergines, which is a great way to cook aubergines because usually people don't tend to cook this vegetable long enough and it leaves it sort of mushy and spongy, which is kind of icky, right? When you look at it, at least when I was a kid, I used to look at aubergines and think, gross, I don't want to eat this. <laughs> um, but, this but this recipe is super delicious. Um, so we hassle back uh, the aubergines and then... Um, the spices um, and the syrup is sort of like poured over it and then it's baked. Um, and we roast them with uh, sumac and vinegar with a little bit of sugar to give it stickiness. Um, and it's served uh, sprinkled with um, pomegranates and fresh mint and pine nuts. Oh, that is my kind of dish because you're going to get that kind of sweet and sour kind of stickiness. I love it. This, sound, this sounds great. And we've got time, I think, for one more. And um, what, what would your my, pick be? Um, my pick was um, sweet and sour stuffed onions. I mean, I had never eaten anything like this, and Caitlin's absolutely brilliant to come up with this one. Um, so it's basically, I mean, I mean, this is also a great uh, midweek meal because you can stuff the onions ahead of time, freeze them, and then bake them whenever you need um, a quick meal. Um, so it's basically onions that are stuffed with a mixture of uh, chicken mince, seven spice, um, paprika, pomegranate molasses, and lemon zest. Um, that should should in itself give you an idea of how delicious this um, dish is. Oh, that um, sounds amazing. What would you serve it with? Um, you serve it with um, yogurt, just to sort of um, cut out the sharpness from all the various flavors um, in this dish, sweet and sour. Um, and, um, I mean, I would just eat this along with the flatbread. Okay, your work here is done, Karen. Thank you. You've made us thoroughly hungry. Um, But maybe you can turn our stomachs. We're getting people to message in today. This is for a chance to win a brilliant prize, that 500 dirhams to spend at Spinney's, by sharing their weird food preferences, the habits or combinations that other people think that's revolting, but you stand by. We have had, to give you some examples, uh, well, eating sushi with a knife and fork, I'd say that's pretty unforgivable. Ketchup <laughs> and ketchup on a croissant. 
I I just Ew. can't. Is there anything that you no. do and, and people in the office are like, Karen, please, you can't do um, that? I can't think of anything offhand, but I do, I do remember something my dad used to do when I was growing up, and I thought this is sacrilege. Um, you know the you know the Indian dessert called rasagulla. It's mm-hmm. that um, light sponge um, dessert in a sugar syrup. He used to mix that with yogurt and eat that as a dessert. <laughs> okay, I can better that. My dad will get, and to this day, will get a tin of peas and drink the pea juice out of <laughs> out of the tin. That's what growing up in a post-war society does for you. You'll eat anything. Karen, thank you so much. The new issue is on Thanks, the shelves Alice. and you can find out more on the Spinney's website as well. Uh, really easy, spinneys.com. Have a great weekend ahead. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, you too. Bye. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. And joining us in studio is Natasha D'Souza. She joins us to share her journey from being over 140 kilos at one point to now becoming an emotional eating and weight loss transformation life coach, helping other people overcome the day-to-day struggles that might feel insurmountable alone. Natasha, thank you so much for being with us. I'm having thank a bit of a fangirl moment. <laughs> thank you, Helen. Thank you. For, I'm having the same fangirl moment right back at you. <laughs> well, I love your Instagram thank so, you. so much for sharing little life hacks and tips, but also fashion and your honest story. And I think that vulnerability is so, so important. And I'm hoping you can share some of what you've been through and, and how you're helping other people. And you're w- more than welcome to message in the show as well today. Can you take us back to then when you were at your heaviest and wh- where you can kind of pinpoint why you're emotionally eating? For sure. So at my heaviest, I was at 147 kilos. And, you know, if you compare me in comparison to my friends or my family, uh, you you felt different. I felt different. Every single day, I was not able to wear the small little skirts or, you know, the little crop tops, anything of that sort. And it was just a constant struggle. So it's bad alone that I felt horrid. But then you get the backlash from your family, your parents. Why do you look this way? Look at your cousins. Look at your sisters. Why can't you stop eating? And through all of this, food was my friend. Food was my, okay, I'm not judging you, Natasia. Food was my comfort. So anytime someone said you need to lose weight, I would then go take a bag of crisps, take some chocolate, go up to my room and sit there quiet because that was my moment Mm. to just not be judged, not have someone tell me, you looked fat or you are fat because I knew that, but I just didn't know how to stop it. And I think that's the missing piece for so many people. And this was the case for me. I knew what I needed to do. I just couldn't put the pieces together. And as you say, that criticism and self-judgment, judgment from others just seems to compound this feeling of unhappiness. And as you say, if you have something you can turn to that even just for a few seconds makes you feel happier, it's inevitable that you're going to go back to it. So how on earth did you break this cycle? To be honest, um, it was hard. It was definitely not easy at all. For years, my mom would take me to the doctor and the doctor would say, Natasia, you're getting bigger. Natasia, you're getting bigger. You need to do something about this. And there was this one time he took me over and it was a new doctor. And he started all his tactics saying, you need to lose weight. Your mom has blood pressure. Your dad has diabetes. You're going to die by the time you're 35. And it was just... I was literally in tears as he was talking to me like this. And he left me with this diet plan that was so strict. And he said, you need to follow it. And as usual, took the diet plan, put it in my bedside drawer, Mm -hmm. never looked at it again. And 
I woke up one morning, and I remember it was three days after New Year, and I told my mom, I said, I need you to drive me to a fast food joint. And she said, why? And I said, I think I'm going to have my last meal today. And she said, what do you mean last meal? I said, I'm going to have my last meal. So I went, got about six, seven burgers. I got a milkshake. And I woke up the next day and I said, I'm just going to try. I don't know if I'm going to get there. I don't know if I'm ever going to see it, but I'm just going to try. And the more I tried, just a little. So if I went for the third plate of food, maybe this time I'll just go for the second. It got a bit better Mm -hmm. and it got a bit better. Um, The only fault with that was I was following a diet that was so strict that really shot me in the foot in the long run, to be honest with you. Joining us in the studio is emotional eating and weight loss transformation life coach Natasha D'Souza. She's not just someone who uh, talks the talk. She has walked the walk having lost over 60 kilos and kept it off, crucially, um, through understanding what it takes to lose weight in a healthy, sustainable fashion. And Natasha, you alluded to the fact there that you did gain some weight back, which is such a common circumstance for so many people. Right, Losing weight, fantastic. Keeping it off a different kettle of fish but it's also incredibly brave to start that journey again why did you decide that this was not going to be the ending of your story when I first lost the weight I remember going to the doctors and saying what now you know I've lost all this weight and he said well Natasha, now you live your life now you live your life live the life you always wanted to live and that's what I did I went back to my old eating habits and if you go back to what you did you're going to get back to where you were but I enjoyed being where I was presently so much that I told myself, I can't let this happen. Mm-hmm. And I, the weight creeped back on, five kilos and then 10 kilos. And every time it creeped back on, I told myself, okay, let's try this diet. Let's try the cabbage soup diet. Let's try the military diet. And that just got things even worse. And finally, I told myself, no, you're going to do it. You're going to do it right. You're going to stop feeding your emotions. You're actually going to start feeling it. And then it clicked, yeah. which is, as I said, something that you help your clients with now because, yeah. and I say that with the greatest amount of respect to doctors, but I feel like there are so many who will go, as you experienced, you've got high blood pressure, you know, you need to lose the weight. You could be getting diabetes. This is what you need to do without truly understanding what drives people yeah. to open the fridge or to binge or just have disordered eating. So how do you then put those pieces together and address the emotional impact that food can have, that relationship that people have? Because it is a relationship. It is, it is. And, you know, um, for an emotional eater, some of their biggest cravings, their biggest overeating binges or episodes come when they're at their lowest, weakest points emotionally, sadly so. And because they've created that habit of going to food continually, they then automatically when you're stressed or a financial issue or fighting with your partner, then go for that crisps or bag of donuts, sorry, box of donuts or, you know, fried chicken, whatever it might be. And that's a habit. That's a habit that has worked, that you've kept going for years on end. So in order to get through the root of that habit, it's about intercepting. It's about breaking that habit. It's about changing that reward to maybe journaling, maybe calling a friend, maybe meditating, maybe breathing, maybe actually realizing, are you physically hungry? I can't tell you the number of times I've asked my client, but were you hungry? And they're like, but it was 7 p.m., Natasha. I said, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> that's so true. I mean, I actually had lunch before the show today going, if I don't eat now, I'm not going to be able to eat until five o'clock. I wasn't hungry, but it felt like it's half past 12. So yeah. this is when I have my lunch. Yeah. But having that check-in. Yeah. But also someone to be accountable to. Yeah. 
and someone, as I said, who's understanding rather than someone that you feel like you're going to get in trouble with. I think yeah. it makes a big difference. We're going to go to the text line. Um, Hannah's saying, thank you for this. I tend to eat when I'm bored. I'm not sad, just bored. And I think maybe I'll have some bread or some crisps. However, I never feel like anything healthy. <laughs> yep. How can I stop this craving? Well, here's the thing. Once you start eating palatable food, yeah, you always crave it. You always crave it. And again, it's a habit that you've created. It's a habit of wanting that soft, moist bread, butter. Salty. Yes, exactly. And the type of food also goes back to what you're feeling. So if you're craving something salty, something crunchy, it's actually deeper sadness that it's related to. If you're, say, angered or something of that sort, you tend to go for things that are creamier. So you have to really assess, what am I feeling right now? Even if it's boredom and you've created this over time, is this hunger? Mm -hmm. And if you're not hungry, try breathing, try walking. And I always tell my clients, teach yourself how to say no to yourself. Learn to say no to yourself. We can say no to our kids. We can say no to the neighbor next door, but we find it so hard to say no to ourselves when it comes to food. Now, you work with your clients normally on a kind of a two monthly basis. So checking in with them twice a week, creating a bit of a plan as well. What kind of results have you seen with people in the past? And and how much weight would you say generally your clients are coming to you looking to lose? So it ranges anywhere from five to seven kilos and it goes all the way up to 30 to 40 kilos. So I do have clients that um, do have a large amount of weight to lose, but because they know that there's the key factor that this is going to stay off long term. And many of them have gained the weight back after several attempts. They're willing to put in the work. They're willing to go through that level of discomfort that is required. Um, a message here and no name on it. And I always say it's absolutely fine. We want to maybe just give you your platform to be heard and maybe offer a bit of a plan or reassurance. Message here saying, I've always been a big girl since I hit puberty, had um, PCOS diagnosis and seemed to settle at a UK size 16 to 18, usually weigh between 90 and 100 kilos. I'm a mum of two, the youngest is 14 months. I comfort eat a lot, so understand what you're talking about when I'm stressed, sad, angry, bored, and I usually crave sweet foods. Um, I've only been able to maintain dieting or healthy eating during stable and stress-free periods of life, and as soon as there's any difficulty, I want to eat, eat, eat again. Now I've got two daughters, I'm terrified of passing on my thoughts about my body image and eating to them. How do I address the gap between what my rational mind understands and what my emotional self feels? That's that is a, such a great message. Yeah, that's, it's actually a great question. And for that one, I'll say you need, again, to be uncomfortable. You need to ride the wave of the emotion that you're feeling. So often, because we are we, so easy to go grab that bag of chips, we need to stop and ask ourselves, what, what, where is this emotion even arising from? Am I angry? Am I sad? And if that is the case, if you're lonely or sad or angered, ask yourself, what can I do instead? How can I change that reward? Because emotional eating is tied into habits and habits are tied to cue and a reward, right? So how can you switch the reward? Because once the reward is switched, your brain's going to be happy. Your brain doesn't care if you're getting a bag of crisps. Your brain cares, okay, I've been satisfied in some way or form. Breathing, maybe even calling a friend and picking up and venting that stress that you're feeling. Because sometimes it's about connection, isn't it? 100%. And if it's a case of I'm feeling, I'm feeling lonely. Yeah. I'm yeah. feeling bored. Yeah. It's so much easier said than done. And I, I'm sure people listen and go, I know what you're saying, but I just can't put those pieces together. Why do you, what kind of message would you like to give to any kind of doctors or trainers or anyone out there who's in that kind of weight loss industry that you feel like they need to be enlightened on? The first things I would tell, I would tell them is 
teach your clients on how to love who they are today. And often that seems kind of contradicting. Well, if I want to lose weight, how can I love the body that I have today? But that's the first step to enjoying your weight loss journey. That's the first step to recognizing change. Because if you don't do that today, you're going to go into this journey so hateful mm -hmm. and never get and never see the light at the end of the tunnel. For me, it was I think that's that's so spot on because if you don't value who you are now, exactly. people, you know, I will be. I used to punish myself with food, and yeah. if you don't really like love yourself, yeah, and that's a big that's a that's a big ask yeah. on some days for yeah. some people. But if you don't value value yourself enough to treat yourself well and yeah. hydrate and eat healthy and move and connect, yeah, then these things, you know, it adds up day yeah. by day to, to really, really big change, which you are, are kind of living, walking proof of. Um, message saying, love the sound of this. How can we find out more? <laughs> What's the best way of following you? Well, the best way is to reach me on Instagram on Natasia D'Souza and you can book a discovery call. You can send me a DM. I mean, I have people messaging me all the time telling me, you know, I just need inspiration today and I'm there. I'm there. I'm here to give back and uh, I love it. I love what I do. Definitely give Natasia a follow because there's some, or it might cost you a few a few dirhams in uh, in <laughs> shopping because the clothes are fantastic too. <laughs> Wishing you a wonderful weekend ahead. Thank you again for your honesty today. Um, I think it's hugely helpful for people to really understand that a lot more people have struggled with emotional eating than we ever realise and by addressing it, hopefully we can fix it. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. Now, one of the most photographed spots in Dubai is Aura. It's the world's highest 360-degree infinity pool and epic views of that Dubai skyline, Palm Jumeirah. And one man that gets to enjoy that view every single day while at work, well, bit the kitchen too, is the head chef, Craig Vesters, in the studio. Hi, chef. How are you? Hi, Helen. How are you doing? I am well. I want to know, when assembling a cheeseburger, where's the cheese go? On top. What a patty. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We've had some impassioned pleas for bottom, talking about, you know, it keeps everything moist and together. To me, you grill your burger, put the cheese on top, finish it a little bit. What we do, we put bacon jam and then cheese on top of that. And oh, yes. Now you're talking my language. Um, second question to you before we start uh, getting into the kitchen's aura. If I was going to give you 500 dirhams to spend in spinnies on whatever you want, what would you buy? Oh, that's, that's tough. That's tough. 500 Dirhams. Mm. Uh, Can I guess? Guess. Go and guess. Wagyu. Yeah. It has to be. It has to be. <laughs> they do a good Wagyu. They do. They do very, 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 very much. Now, we've actually met before. We met in the gym. We have, yeah. <laughs> Way back when. <laughs> but it's nice to have you in the studio. No, it's great. Um, tell us a little bit about your background because an interesting start to your journey. You started out in the local pub and here Gordon Ramsay was a colleague in London. What was that like? Yeah, so that was tough. Uh, yeah, so I started off in a village pub, close where, I, where where I'm from. And yeah, I met a girl and... Sh That's all good story stuff, met a girl. Met a girl and <laughs> now my wife. Good. Uh, she sent my CV off to Gordon Ramsay and I, I never thought I would make it. I thought I'd just come from a village pub. I'd never make uh, Gordon Ramsay standards and I did. So where were you working and what was it like? But Well, I was still living in Luton, where I'm from, uh, and I used to travel to London every morning. Oh, my gosh. That was horrendous. Because chef's hours are no yeah, joke. Yeah, I, I went through two cars. Um, <laughs> had to. And I finally moved to London. But, yeah, working at Gordon Ramsay, is, uh, one of his gastro pubs in Chiswick. 
uh, where we ended up living in Chiswick and I lived there for nine years and yeah it was uh, great working I got to work in three different restaurants of his in London working around London down by Danaro uh, World of Warrington in Maida Vale and then I decided I want to get into Mission Star restaurants and working for Gordon Mission Star restaurants was that next mm-hmm. level up but in central London and those hours were just going to be brutal yeah. So then in Chizik, there was a nice restaurant called La Trumpet. And yeah, moved there. I was there for two years. Now, I've met Gordon Ramsay. So to kind of separate the man from the myth, he was beyond lovely. Yeah. He knew the names of all the My Little Ponies when he was talking to my kids about them. <laughs> well, see, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if this was just, you know, some charming patter for the journalist. What was it like in the kitchens? In the kitchen, it was very tough. He's... he's 100% all about the food it, it, the passion that he has is unbelievable so he would never let anything go past but he was a lovely person to work for good it, so he's just a nice guy good okay phew now you're here in Dubai and you're at Aura which I've yet to be in but it looks absolutely spectacular right. The view, as I said, one of the most photographed. How many people have dropped their phones in the pool? Oh, so many. <laughs> we, have, we have a rice emergency box. The waiter comes running down the stairs. <laughs> chef, chef, chef. Uh, wait, uh, guys dropped his phone. The box is ready. The rice is ready. It works sometimes. No, it's, 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 it's twice, or, twice to three times a week it happens. <laughs> All the time. But you, you, you can't... You go upstairs, because I, I, the kitchen's downstairs. I go up. I look around and it's people just walking around with their phone. You can't not take a photo. It's absolutely stunning. But what about the menu? That's what we're talking about today, the food. Because a lot of people there in swimwear, a lot of people there wanting to take photographs. So how much does the aesthetic of the food play into how you put that menu together? Well, I, I, I've i always worked in French restaurants, British restaurants. And so I wanted to do something different. And all a Skype is, is, is Pan-Asian. So it's... It's like, I, I like to say, like street food done very, very nicely. Mm. And it's, you got to remember, everything's Instagrammable. It has it's, to be. It has to be. Everything. <laughs> so that's why your food has to be Instagrammable. You, when you do a menu, you go, but will people take pictures and post it? Isn't that interesting? Because that obviously wasn't the case when you started out in your career at all. No, no, not at all. No, you're lucky if your phone had a camera on it. <laughs> yeah, my but, black free took some pretty rubbish photos exactly, 10 years ago. Exactly, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so... The food has to be colourful, has to be fresh. But yeah. Make, go on, make us hungry. What's on the menu? Oh, well, the, the, one of my favourite, well, I've got some favourites on, on the menu. If I get guests come in and I want to treat them or I want to su- suggest them to have something, oh, the cauliflower popcorn is, is, is one of the best dishes on the menu. It's vegan, it's, oh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, satay, ch- oh, satay chicken, dynamite shrimp, uh, miso salmon with uh, pineapple uh, chili relish. Oh, that sounds delicious. What about desserts? And we have a uh, we have a lovely uh, matcha milk cake, uh, a Malaysian eaten mess, and we do chalk ice. What's so, a Malaysian eaten mess? It's well, it's like an it's a normal t- it's a mess, but a Malaysian style coconut pineapple strawberry mess. Love the sound of that. Um, where are you going this weekend? Let us know on 4001. I've honestly come across some brilliant restaurants and dishes because of your recommendations. So let me know what are your foodie plans. So can you take us back to then? Because obviously Aura is new. Yeah. When you're walking into a space or you're meeting a hospitality group, how much freedom do you get to create that menu? And where do you take those ins- kind of inspirations and influences from? Well, I find every chef should 
go to restaurants and see what other people are doing. That's to give great ideas. My chefs always, I always say to them, where have you, where have you gone this weekend? Where are you going to eat? Because you must stay up you got, with... You've got to be plugged in. You've got to stay in front of everybody, or at least with them, mm-hmm. where they're going. So, yeah. So, tell us then, if we're going to come this weekend... What do you reckon? Cauliflower popcorn? Probably popcorn. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Sold. Okay. And the question we always ask every chef that comes onto the show, desert island dish. If I was going to send you to a desert island, but the food is really rubbish, like atrocious, not even Tom Hanks castaway spearfishing. Rubbish. Yeah. But the night before you go, you get to have the meal of your dreams. And it could be food you've cooked, food you've eaten, a dish you've always dreamt of trying, start a main dessert or any configuration. If you want to have a three course cheese platter, Craig, that's absolutely fine by me. What would you be eating? Oh, that's tough. That's I tough. know, I know. And I change my mind about it with every chef I ask. Sometimes I'm like cheese and pickle sandwich, prawn cocktail, roast dinner, my mum's lasagna. No. I change my mind. But today for you, Chef Craig, what would it be? It, it, well, I've had this question asked me many times. It'd have to be my mum's beef stew and dumplings. Oh, we'll send her the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and sweet tooth. Oh, that's uh, that's tough. That's tough. Um, me, I love a cheesecake. A nice vanilla cheesecake. Very plain, very boring, but it has to be. Hits the spot. Craig, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate it. You can find the head chef Craig Best at Aura, where he is the man at that uh, beautiful sky bar. Thank you so, so much for your time. And especially on a Friday, because I know you've got a busy service this evening. I'm going back to work. Good man. Good man. (laughs) Enjoy. Can get that box of rice ready for any phones that fall in the pool. Hopefully that might be Poonam. I think she's going tomorrow. Just just warn you. Oh, yeah, she is, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's a dropper. <laughs> <laughs> it is Friday. We're talking food and we're going international now. And now Tiffany Eslick is a, one of the big brains behind the fantastic Spinney's content you see online and, of course, in Nourish magazine. And she is currently working from Ireland. Um, after, well, <laughs> a few, a few cancelled plans... COVID related. She is currently studying at Ballymaloo, which I'm going to let her tell you about one of the most incredible cookery schools in the world. Tiffany, can you describe the scene in front of you? You've had to close your window in case a a rooster crows. (laughs) Where where in the world are you? Hi. um, Yeah, I am in southeast Cork um, in Ireland. And I really am in the middle of nowhere. Um, Ballymaloo is on a 100-acre organic farm. And I'm in one of the little cottages just opposite the farm. So I have, like, these undulating green hills, you know, all around me. I have a rooster as a neighbor who, like, is quite sassy. Um, I've got to see about a kilometer away, so I can see it if I stand at one point in the garden. Um, and, yeah, I just, I really am in the greenest place I could imagine, which is amazing. Oh, it just sounds incredible. Now, you're obviously a really passionate foodie in your spare time and, and obviously work in, in food at Spinney's. Um, tell us about the school and why you've decided to kind of undertake a really amazing but intense education there yes so you know I've, yeah I, everything that I've kind of learned has always been self-taught or I learned to cook from my mum, who's an amazing cook and I just felt like seeing I'm working with so many amazing chefs now with my job with Finney's and um, you know foodies and and just anyone who's passionate about ingredients and food I really wanted to just upskill myself and um, so know always know what I'm talking about 
Um, and I honestly, I don't always get that much time to cook um, just because we're so busy. So, yeah, so I, I wanted to come away, do this intense, I mean, it is intense, uh, get as many skills as possible, and then come back and then just kind of use that in my job as well as uh, on the personal front as well. It is one of the most respected cookery schools in the world. What's the history of it? Yeah, so it's been running for almost 40 years, um, and it's run by Darina Allen, who's kind of like the the powerhouse behind, you know, sustainable flow food in Ireland. She really, really put Ireland on the map um, for celebrating um, their local ingredients, um, pushing for things like, you know, all, on all sorts of sustainability fronts. So she runs it with her brother, Rory, who is just the most amazing lecturer. I just, I, I mean, I love all their lectures, but uh, he's got something special. Um, and then their daughter-in-law, Rachel Allen, is a celebrity uh, TV chef as well. And I think she's been in Abu Dhabi and Dubai a few she times. She has. She's, um, a, she's a big deal. Yeah. She's. I saw her yeah. in, the, in one of your Instagram stories. I was like, is that Rachel Allen? And you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because you do have yeah, these the guest, amazing guest um, lecturers and chefs. Mm. Absolutely, you know, so she lectures about once a week or even twice a week. Um, and so it's, it's a, a big family-run business. And then they've got um, Ballymaloo House, which is a, a sort of five-star hotel. It's just down the road. They've also got like a bread shed and a pizza shop and a shop where people come and buy vegetables. So it's a, it's a working farm and then the school is on it. Um, and they do three courses a year. There's about 60 students per course. I thought there was only going to be 20, so it's quite a difference. Um, and... They just really are well, and many, many famous people have come through here and studied here and, you know, gone and opened up their own thing or gone into the industry. They really help you if you're wanting to join a restaurant afterwards. They'll get you in, um, which is, you know, it's it's handy for those people who want to do that. So can you talk us through a typical day? You're speaking to us early in the morning before before you head off to your your classes. Can you kind of paint us a picture about a a classic day, if there is such a thing, at Ballymaloo? Absolutely. So four days of the week, we we sort of start, you might have a duty in the morning, and this could be anything from like picking vegetables to making bread in the bread shed. That's where I'm heading straight after this. Um, and then we start and we cook. So we, we get in, we weigh up, which is it sort of becomes this frenzy of everybody trying to weigh up all the ingredients and prep. Um, and then we start cooking at 9 a.m. and we cook intensely till like 12.30 so you cook in pairs, but you, you're kind of just working alongside each other. You're not cooking things together. Mm-hmm. Um, then we break for lunch, and we all eat what we've eaten, and then, I mean, what we've cooked. And then we have lectures in the afternoon, which start at quarter to two, and they run over till about quarter past five. And it's, wow. we can have anything from like 14 to 25 dishes that are demonstrated. What? To us. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Are you and having to take notes during this whole time? Are your poor absolutely. little hands? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I mean, I'm such, I'm a geek. So I'm in the front row every day, you know, like taking those notes. Um, and then the next day you cook some of the things that were demonstrated. So, we, you know, it all gets sort of divvied up between the 60 people and you, you make sure that you're getting the, all the skills in, in a week that you've learned. So it's crazy. And then a Wednesday is, um, we always have like a, a guest producer, um, you know, like one of the local Irish producers, or there'll be some guest chef, other guest chefs coming in. And then we have a sort of a, a class in the afternoon, which is always really nice with Ireland's sort of best familiar. We're exploring food, not just here in Dubai, but internationally too with Tiffany Aslek from Spinney's, who's currently in Cork, Ireland, at Ballymaloo Cookery School, one of the most respected education uh, establishments in the world when it comes to creating amazing chefs and cooks 
and those really who just want to follow their passion of food. It's been around for 35 years and uh, many a famous name coming out. Tiffany, I want you to make (laughs) us hungry. What have some of your culinary highlights been when you look back at what you've made? It must blow your mind to think you've achieved so much in such a short time. Are there any standout dishes? I made an amazing lemon meringue pie, if I do say so myself yesterday. I saw the um... piping woman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, like whenever I've tried to pipe in the past, it's just, you know, I get air bubbles and it's a flop. And yesterday it just worked. So, and the lemon curd worked and the short crust pastry was crisp. So I was in my element and I did really well because they mark us every day in front of us. They taste it and mark it. What? Which is a bit nerve-wracking. Oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh. And then I also made some almond tartlets, which was great fun. I got my tweezers out and I was doing like little flower decorations, that kind of thing. Um, and then... We had, to, you know, I had to make some like in moussaka, which you know I probably make at home. But mm. when you're making it and being watched, and you realise like how important each element is and what you need to season, you know that's that's I'm learning so much about seasoning because I don't actually add a lot of salt, and so and I need to start adding more. So that's been something to learn. Um, God, what else have I made? <laughs> what about so anything very uh, Irish? Is there anything yes. any, any lo- really local um, produce that's still in your heart or something that you think? If I make this in the future, this will always yes. remind me of my time there. Absolutely. So anything with rhubarb, because it's rhubarb season at the moment, so we're making a lot of that, and that's one of my favorite ingredients. Um, and then we're making so many different types of soda bread, oh. which I think that is something I'll bring back and make easily. You know, you can whip it up in two seconds, and um, they have different types. My favorite is, a, is one called a bastable bread, so it's made in a pot which is very similar to a pot bread that we make actually in South Africa, just, you know, different ingredients. Um, so that, and then, oh, it's courgette or zucchini flour, you know, they're all in season at the moment. And that's, I find that really hard to find in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And so we're making a lot of things with that. Um, and I just love those. And I did, you know, we had a whole class on game, which was, in, so we got, you know, how to sort of, Feather the bird and black um, bird, and I mean that was quite a lot. But then I had to make roast guinea fowl with like bread sauce, which I've never had in my life before. Mm, I love um, it. Or, you know, I'll make you some. Mm, I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was like a sort of whole Sunday roast, um, you know, Irish style. So I made that. Um, but yeah, it's, I, when I look back at all my photos, I'm like, how have you churned all of this out in just three weeks? What are the other students like? Are, are some of these people using this as a you know secondary education and looking to move into food professionally? Are there others such as yourself who want to become better home cooks and learn more about produce? What's the split like? So yeah, it's a huge you know split. I, I mean, varied audience. We've got definitely some young people who are like 18 to 20 you know, who are not, perhaps not going to university but coming here and then really hoping to get into industry. Um, sort of let it go through all the ages. There's some people who have since lockdown have decided they just want to take time off and, and do things for themselves. There's a group of retired people, um, which is, well, they're lovely. I've really, you know, I hang out a lot with them. Um, and then, yeah, you know, from all over the world, there's 13 different nationalities here at the moment. Um, there is actually another South African, which I found interesting. Um, is, is, and, is, have, you you had, know, have you had to say, like, you know, we're, we're from the same country, we have to be friends now? <laughs> is it that kind of weird instant <laughs> bond? I think we just, like, naturally, like, become friends, you know? Um, and then, so, yeah, just some fascinating people, you know, how they all ended up here and what they do. 
Um, so, and it's not, you know, you sort of, you get to, because you change partners every week, you get to know somebody else quite closely every week, which is nice. Because otherwise, you know, trying to get hold of 60 people is quite difficult mm-hmm. when we're all racing around. Um, and then we're all in these little cottages. So I share with a lovely American girl um, who's really into cooking as well. Um, so that's nice. And yeah, it's just, and we do a lot of things together after hours. So whether we're going see something in the freezing cold water, um, or going to the pub, or going to the market, um, or, you know, we're all going fishing this weekend. Um, there's 10 of us who have booked a boat and we're going to go sea fishing. So um, I will use my fishing uh, scaling and gutting skills, I'm sure. Oh and I'm hoping my if I can. gosh. I, <laughs> and what's, what's it like in terms of. I guess that kind of social side of it. You know, is everyone kind of, you know, mucking along together and you, I'm just trying to kind of get a picture of that's the kind of the after hours. So have yeah. kind of bonds and I don't want to say cliques, but kind of groups formed. Yeah, definitely. I think um, each, you know, some of the cottages have like nine people in them. So then that's a big group that, you know, will naturally form because they're all living together. But I think it's, What's nice is that everybody's just really mingling and, and you know, we'll, we've got a group on Telegram and everybody will be like, right, we're going here. Does anybody want to join? Or we'll all trundle off to the market or, you know, so it's, I, I really like that. It's sort of easy. There's no issue. There haven't been any issues with anyone, which is great. Can you know, you imagine. Um, I was going to say this would make great reality yeah. TV, but you'd need, it sounds like you need a villain. Yeah. You need a bit more drama, which is sadly missing. Yeah, I think if, it's all very, it's very pleasant, you know, which is lovely. Yeah, when the biggest drama is too much baking soda, then you know, yeah, exactly. you know you're in a pretty good place in the world. Um, I've also spotted yeah. a lot of sea swimming. You're getting, you're getting mm. into nature with... What look like yeah. icy dips. How's that going? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I absolutely love the sea and I'm always at the beach in Dubai. Um, and we've got this beach that's so close to us and it's so beautiful. But, I mean, the water is 10 degrees. So it's, <gasps> what, but I'm really, you know, I'm practicing the uh, Zim half breathing style, you know, to get in there. Um, and there's a group of us and we're just forcing ourselves to go often, like pretty much every day if we can. It's like if it's not pouring with rain, we'll go. Um, and we've been very lucky with the weather. It's like being 16 degrees every day with sun. Um, so, yeah, and it's just you go in and I last about 15 minutes. I mean, I look ridiculous. I have a beanie on, a skin, um, booties, you know, <laughs> your legs go like bright red. But it's, it's kind of addictive as well. It really wakes me up after the day. So, Tiff, you're on week three of 12. We will, of course, be catching up with you um, mm. down the line. But what are you most looking forward to from the the course ahead that you that you know you might be doing? Any ingredients you're looking forward to discovering? Any activities or indeed dishes? Yeah, so as it sort of moves, because I'm so focused on seasonality here, I'm really looking forward to tomato season because they grow all their own tomatoes and it's one of my favorite fruits. Um, so working with that and, and coming up with recipes, I think I'm hoping to just learn as many more sort of skills that I don't know. So I've got like a butchery class and a charcuterie class mm-hmm. and we're going to make our own cheese. Um, with also fermentation, which I haven't done yet. So that, all of that really interests me. Um, we only know the week before what we're going to make for the whole week. So it's always a surprise. <laughs> so who knows what I'm doing next week. Um, but I kind of like that as well because otherwise you, I think you read too much into things and you, you start to think, oh, I don't want to make that. Or, you know, so mm-hmm. it's just told you on a Friday afternoon. You're like, okay, cool. Um, and I guess, yeah, more baking because I need to kind of really embrace that and become good at that. Well, I want to become good at that. 
And well, I'm 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 really hoping we're going to get a Tiffany Supper Club off the back of this when you return Absolutely. to Dubai. But is there any produce, yes. anything you've eaten that you think Spinney's needs to get this in the store? I'm going to bring back a suitcase of it and put my case to the to the team. Uh, well, I would really like someone to grow wild garlic. <laughs> I don't know how because we need cooler weather. But I, I want something I, either because it's it's really fragile, like the little flowers. But mm. I've been foraging for those, and you know, you pickled them or you scattered them over something, and the, the leaves are fantastic for presentation of a salad or for making into pesto. So that I'm going to speak to Neil and see you in produce if we can get some wild garlic in. Neil, because um, in challenge think, extended. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think as the weeks go on, my list will, you know, really increase. Um, yeah, I mean, we get so much beautiful produce and a lot from Ireland already, you know, mm. so that's quite lucky. Well, thank you so much for sharing the journey so far. It sounds absolutely delicious and invigorating and just beyond wholesome. Um, and if anyone wants to follow <laughs> you on Instagram, you can be found at Tiffany underscore Eslick. Um, thank you so much for your time. Get along to learn all the, <laughs> all the chopping skills. Please, no chopping of fingers, just slicing of bread. Yes. <laughs> and have an amazing, amazing time. Tiffany, thank you so much. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. It is Friday and we're talking food. Sometimes that's about ingredients and produce. Sometimes it's about a chef. and Sometimes about giving you some ideas and inspiration for where to go over the weekend. Spend your hard-earned dirhams and uh, eat something that's going to put a smile on your face. This happened to us exactly last week when my husband took me to Temple Creamery which is just around the corner from where I live and yet I'd driven past it so many times never again will I drive past it without stopping for an ice cream uh, we've got the co-founder Zay joining us on the line now to tell us a little bit about I am hesitate to use the word concept Zay because I feel like it's so overused but it is quite unusual your setup there on Al Wassel Road can you tell us how it all came about? Um, yeah, well, it wasn't actually supposed to be a uh, an ice cream shop. It was a ceramic studio originally. That's why the building's called Slow. And then Temple was kind of uh, an afterthought because we discovered this really cool, like, you could say, like, it's a fancy McFlurry machine. <laughs> and then Sounds amazing. A fancy McFlurry machine. So this is the ability to mix an extra something with ice cream. Yes to give it like texture and flavor and all that good stuff so we acquire a fancy mcflurry machine we have a building let's put those hands together so what's so this was almost a bit of an afterthought with temple but it has become at the minute the main reason for people you know opening the door and sitting down until things start again with the ceramic studio so let's talk ingredients because you come in and you are you kind of spoil for choice when it comes to cereals, of all things. Why do cereals work so well in your in that machine? Um, I think it's because it's like a combination of like nostalgic um, flavors that you sort of everybody had when they were growing up. I don't know why, but I feel a lot of people sort of grow out of cereal. Some people don't, but a lot of people do. So it's like going back to like your your childhood and all these nostalgic flavors, but having them in a different way in an ice cream rather than with milk um and also of course a lot of people are lactose intolerant so we offer lacto-free ice cream so you can have sort of a an uncompromised vegan uh, cereal bar experience i think there is nostalgia for me it was ricicles just a love of ricicles you've sourced some cereals yeah. from all over the world but there's also some added extra baked goods tell us what's on the counter zade 
Um, so we work with, uh, at the moment, three uh, local small sort of licensed home business bakers. Uh, so we've got somebody who bakes our brownies who lives uh, literally like three minutes down the road from us. We've got uh, a lady who makes our uh, blondies, who also oh, lives the sort of walking distance <laughs> from us. And uh, our cookie lady also lives in the street behind us and uh, sort of has took a chance on us when we first opened because we knew we wanted to, to mix in baked goods as well to the to the ice cream and to sort of grown with us as as our business has increased. So is, so is hers. So it's been really, really awesome to see. I love this idea of kind of his neighbours, you know, popping in with a tray of brownies, you whizzing them up yeah. in, the, in the posh McFlurry machine. Um, it is very Instagram friendly. There's no getting away from this being a very, very photogenic spot. And you and your co-founder, your wife, obviously have an amazing aesthetic. Um, the ceramic studio is stunning. Um, but how, how do you even begin to build a concept from the beginning? You know, you, you have an idea, you find a building how do you start to put these pieces together? There's something I, I find really fascinating to try and unpick about, you know, whether it's a, you know, a cafe or a shop or, or, any, or any kind of business. Where did it start for you? Um, it definitely started with the product. So it was um, obviously, like you said, uh, my partner, Zaina. She's been a ceramicist for 10, maybe 11 years now. And um, her, her work was sort of growing in demand and she kept getting more and more orders. And then to the point where it just made sense for us to like, let's give this a go. Um, so it all started with sort of her product and then finding a gap in the market for, mm-hmm. or seeing a gap in the market for uh, handmade quality ceramic pieces. Uh, and that was what, that was what the, the business plan was kind of based on. And then, as you said uh, in your opening, the, the ice cream shop was kind of like an add-on. We, we had the space. We didn't know what we were going to do with it. We thought coffee or we thought a plant shop at one point or we thought we might rent it out to somebody else. Uh, and then we found the machine and it just kind of made so much sense uh, because it's difficult to find good good ice cream and uh, in a convenient location as well. So it just it kind of happened that way. Zaid, you've been working in F&B in Dubai for a while in big business and smaller businesses. What have you learned from that time? What have been some of your big takeaways? And I'm thinking in particular about one concept that perhaps didn't go the way you'd hoped in the past. Um, yeah, so I had worked with um, a group of investors previously and had a, another ice cream concept that didn't work out. And it kind of taught me uh, a lot of Sort of hard lessons on sort of direction and focus and how to uh, what's the best way to kind of present your product and yourself to the market and also um, sort of lessons on how important people are and sort of guidance you being guided by what your what your colleagues and your team tell you and also mm. what's the best way to kind of uh, push people into the direction of your your vision to make sure everybody is sort of uh, headed in the same direction sorry that sounds awful like like sort of <laughs> business waffle but i don't know how else to, how else to put it that's sort of like the, the main takeaways that i that i had from from that experience and now you're in business with your wife what's that like um it it has its trials and tribulations but so far it's been uh, it's been really really good again like as long as everybody's pulling in the same direction and everybody has the same vision mm-hmm. um it it sort of it sort of makes itself work i think I, i've always found that when 
uh, one person has an idea that the other doesn't agree with and there's no communication, then it becomes a problem. But as long as you, you have those difficult conversations and, you, and you're both on the same page as much as you possibly can be, uh, things, are, things are generally okay or they work themselves out. Now, this is there's no kind of getting away from it. This is a, this is a small business. This is you and your wife, and you're often in, you know, in the shop yourself, and sometimes behind the counter too. Um, what's that been like? That kind of startup culture here in Dubai, especially in F and B, which has been really, you know, hard hit over the last couple of years. Um, how are you finding it? Uh, really enjoying it. It's, oh, good. It's really hard work, obviously, but it, it's it's supposed to be. We're, we feel really. Um, really fortunate that we're, we're it's such a privilege to say like you sort of rushed off your feet or you're you're, you're so busy we you know we don't take it for granted for one second but at the same time you know sort of you, you get out what you put in so so mm-hmm. far we're, we're really enjoying it and the busier and more stressful it gets the, the better it is for, for everybody <laughs> and the, the more we can kind of look after our our colleagues and and ourselves and, and every all our sort of uh, stakeholders in the in the in our local community busy is a blessing as my dad always would say when I was like tearful really and feeling is. completely overwhelmed like you you'll look back and think I'm glad I'm glad this happened like yes yes dad can I please yeah. have, can I please get a break okay d- down down to the really nitty-gritty give me your top three flavors combinations inside a track oh. temple creamery if you feel like you haven't had these you haven't had the full experience uh Definitely the brownie ice cream, the brownie swirl. That's sort of our, our best seller at the moment. And it, when you try it, if you like chocolate, it's easy to see why. Uh, it's sort of like really textured and creamy. It's kind of like vanilla brownie batter. Mm. Best way I can describe it. Then I would say after that, the cookie and cream, which is one of our freshly baked cookies blitzed into our, our ice cream. Uh, and then after that, probably the road trip which is uh, vanilla ice cream and cinnamon toast crunch cereal now that which leads me to ask have there been any combinations that have been requested from customers you just thought that sounds a bit out there but you know what the customer's always right (laughs) so we'll do it anything that's raised a few eyebrows do you know what nothing no nothing yet people have asked like can i bring stuff in and i love that i i you know i love uh when people get as excited about the machine as we are so like they'll, they'll be in the supermarket and be like oh that would be good and then they bring it down and we try it um so so far there hasn't been anything but um i'm sure there will be at some point in challenge the extended right people get yourself to temple see if you can shock yeah. over the weekend absolute pleasure to catch up with you both obviously when i was enjoying my blondie ice cream over the weekend and uh, and here to find out a little bit more about the business and honestly this is what farmer's kitchen's all about it's about enjoying what we're lucky enough to have here to acknowledge the big names and support the small grown uh, heroes as well so say thank you all the very best to you and the team there and uh, looking forward to hearing about some crazy combinations that listeners might come up with using that fancy mcfly machine. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station.